We're going to be in Psalm 13. If you'd like to turn there today, actually, if you want to, you can turn to 2 Samuel 12. We'll start there, but we're going to spend most of our time today in Psalm 32. But we will start in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. I just think there's times when we need to hear and we need to be reminded about forgiveness. And so I hope today that the Lord will encourage you. This isn't a get on you message. This is hopefully one that says, come back to the Lord and and he is waiting for you. And he wants all of you. And I pray that you'll hear his voice today. So let's, let's do those things together. All right, 2 Samuel, chapter 12, verse 1, a very, very familiar story. Um, let me set it up just a little bit. I don't think you need too much, but you guys know the story pretty well. David, right? David and Goliath, that David. He took one stone, took down the giant. The ladies are, the young ladies are screaming, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain 10,000s. Whoo, would that make your head get big, right? <laughs> Uh, David makes his way into the kingdom after he runs from Saul. I've been in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, now kings in my devotions. David's on the run for so long. He plays like a crazy man. Uh, He ends up being uh, anointed the king there of Judah. And then eventually the whole of Israel supports David as the king. He has so much. Like, I don't know that we hardly can comprehend how much resources, how many resources David has. Anything that he pretty much would want, he could have. And then you're reading the scriptures, it says it was the springtime when kings went to war, but David didn't go. He stayed home. As he stayed home, as he was up walking about his palace, he sees beautiful Bathsheba, and he says he wants her. He calls for her. And he's the king. He takes what he wants. Then we find out that Bathsheba has a husband. His name is Uriah. And the king finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant. Uh Uh-oh. That's going to be a problem. Because Uriah has been at battle. And Bathsheba is pregnant. Everybody's going to know something is not right. So David comes up with his plan. You remember his plan? Send Uriah home. As soon as you send him home, he's going to his wife. Everything will be fine. He can eat, drink, and be merry. Give him a few months there. We'll send him back out. No problem. Uriah comes home, and does he go to his house? No. He goes to the king's palace. How can I go home when all of my brothers are fighting? There's no way I can do that. The king says, get him drunk, then surely he'll go home. Even drunk, he won't go home. That's how loyal he is to his brothers. And so David talks to Joab, and he says, hey, Joab, go out, put Uriah in the front of the line, retreat so that he'll be killed. And by the way, Uriah wasn't the only one killed. So just in the long, quick aside here, your sin doesn't just affect you, by the way, okay? It doesn't just affect the person you're harming. It's so outreaching. Well, the cover-up continues and continues And even for a time, David is just in denial. And then we come here to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. The scripture says, And the Lord sent Nathan, Nathan is the prophet, to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. 
He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. It sounds like a pet for most people nowadays, right? You guys that have animals at your house, it's about exactly what it sounds like. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Verse 5, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. That preacher was pretty good, wasn't he? I mean, he got his point across really well. He has an incredible story. He lays it out. I can see David coming off off his throne. Like, who would do such a terrible, horrible thing? That guy deserves to die. Well, what happens? <coughs> Look down in verse 6. David says he must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Verse 7. <coughs> then Nathan said to David, what did he say? You are the man. I don't know how he said it. I don't know if he yelled it at him or if he was just super quiet. But all of a sudden, it didn't take long, did it, right? This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Did you hear that? God says, why don't you just ask me? I would have given you whatever you wanted. <laughs> That's how much God loved David. Why don't you just ask me? Verse 9. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Do you think David thought he was despising God when he took Bathsheba? I think in the moment he would have never, he would have never thought, he would never have thought to do that. And yet, when we disobey the word of the Lord, we do the very same thing. Verse 11, this is what the Lord says, Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Now, that didn't happen, did it, right? Well, wait a minute, it did. His own son, his name was Absalom, and in order to take over the kingdom, he went and up on top of the roof, he took the concubines of David, and he was intimate with them in front of all Israel because he was saying, I'm in charge. Does God's word come to pass? Every time, every single time. Look down, if you would, then in verse um, 13. Then David said to Nathan, 
I have sinned against the Lord. That is really important. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. I'm trying to be careful. I could preach a whole different sermon. I'm trying to be good here. <laughs> Look at the consequences of David's sin, right? Because his eyes wanted something and he gave in to what his eyes want, even though the word of the Lord said, don't do that. He despised the word of the Lord. And what are the consequences? Are there consequences to Bathsheba? You better believe it. Are there consequences to Uriah? Yes. Are there consequences in David's own military because he did this? What's Joab going to think? Well, if the king don't like you, he might just take you out. I don't know if I'm always going to trust him. And then those that died along with Uriah. And then David's children. We haven't even talked about some of the things that went on with David's whole family, let alone with Absalom. And Absalom getting his hair hung in a tree. And then the child that David loved more than any being killed there in battle. And then here we see in verse 14 what's going to happen to the child. The child's going to die. All because David said, hmm, I think I'm going to do this my way today. Sin is powerful, isn't it? I mean, the consequences, they are almost ubiquitous in this story. And this is a reminder today about the devastation of sin, but more importantly, the power of forgiveness. Let me read you a little quick story here from Rebecca Pippert. On the same day, Rebecca Pippert attended two very different events. She was at a graduate-level psychology class at Harvard University and then also a Christian Bible study adjacent to Harvard. She offered the following observations on how the two groups addressed or failed to address their faults, their problems, and their sins. First, the students in the graduate-level psychology class were extraordinarily open and candid about their problems. It wasn't uncommon to hear them say, I'm angry or I'm afraid, I'm jealous. Their admission of their problems was the opposite of denial. Second, their openness about their problems was matched only by their uncertainty about where to find resources to overcome them. Having confessed, for example, their inability to forgive someone who had hurt them, they had no idea how to resolve the problem by forgiving and being kind and generous instead of petty and vindictive. One day after the class, Rebecca says, I dropped in on a Bible study group in Cambridge. The contrast was striking. No one there spoke openly about his or her problems. There was a lot of talk about God's answers and God's promises, but very little about the participants and the problems they faced. The closest thing to an admission of sin or a personal problem was a reference to someone who was struggling and needs prayer. Here's what she said I thought was so good. The first group, the psychology class, seemed to have all the problems and no answers. And the second group, the Bible study, had all the answers and no problems. You think there was any problems in that Bible study group? Hello? You think there's anybody sitting in this room today that is struggling with temptation? Think there's anybody who's not <laughs> struggling with temptation? 
See, the power here is when both things come together, right? The power is in the confession and the repentance of sin, but then in the transformation and the forgiveness of Jesus. And you need them both. What I want to challenge you a little bit today, and I hinted at it a little bit in Sunday school, when is the last time that you confessed a specific sin to the Lord and repented of that specific sin? You know, a lot of times we do, your preacher does very generic things. Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts, see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's really spiritual, isn't it? Memorize the verse and everything. Wow, it's good. Basically, I'm telling God, well, if there's something wrong with me, just tell me about it and we'll be good, you know, but I think I'm okay. And what I need to do is when the Lord confronts me and he does convict me and he says, you blew it here, then I need to be clear with the Lord and confess, I agree with you about that. That is sin. And Lord, I need to repent of that and turn from that. And you come and you empower me to not do that again. Amen? We need that. Let me be clear here. I'm not really interested at all in hearing you guys go around the room and tell me all of your deep, dark secrets and sins openly. But sometimes there is a time for someone to stand up and say, I have sinned against God. Please pray with me as I repent of that sin and pray for his strength to help me overcome that temptation. And I haven't heard that in a long time. Again, we need both of the problems and the answers together. All right, let's jump in, if you would, Psalm 32. Let's get to the good stuff. Psalm 32, verse 1, forgiveness is blessing. It equals blessing. Verse 1, Psalm 32, the Bible says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Uh, we believe that David is the one who wrote Psalm 32 here, and I think he speaks from experience. Have you ever been forgiven? Anybody ever wrecked their dad's car? How's that go? It can be rough, right? Depends on the situation. You were doing what? You were driving how? Why didn't you think? I can't believe you. Right? I remember when my brother Corey, he was with uh, his friend Denny, and they were in a Pontiac uh, Fiero, I think's the name of the car. And they went over some railroad tracks and probably did like a Dukes of Hazard jump of almost 30 feet. I'm not kidding. You can see where the, the marks, there's no marks, there's no, and then all of a sudden where the marks are where the car hit. And the engine in those cars was in the back, and that engine moved forward, and the Lord spared them. Now, the first thing my dad was was unbelievably loving and forgiving. I couldn't believe it because my dad, when I was young, I figured he was going to destroy him. And then after that, my dad had just simple, quiet words. If it had been me, I'd have got the whipping. But it was Corey, and he, whippings didn't bother him at all. But if you talk to him, it just crush him. And then through all of that, Corey was like, I won't do this anymore again, Dad. And he found forgiveness. And him and my dad, their relationship was fine. Is there anything better than when your relationship has had strife and then it's made right again, right? Praise the Lord. And God says, I gave my son with his blood to cover your sin so you can be forgiven. Blessed is the man <laughs> whose sins are forgiven, whose sin the Lord does not count against him. 
Today, if nothing else, praise the Lord while you're sitting there that your sins are forgiven and that you're reconciled to God because of Jesus. That's an awesome thing, isn't it, right? Again, David said in verse 13, the Lord has taken away your sin. This is back in 2 Samuel real quick. You're not going to die but because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt. The son born to you will die. Now let's be very clear here. Just because God forgives you, it doesn't mean that you don't face the consequences of your sin. And Teresa knows this, and I know this from working jail ministry. We speak this very clearly to those people. Just because you come and accept Christ in your heart doesn't mean the Lord's letting you out of this place next week. You still will bear the consequences of your sin. And that's not just for people in jail, by the way. We still bear the consequences, but there can be peace and reconciliation despite of the consequences. If you haven't found this blessing today, you can find forgiveness. You can have forgiveness. And if you have found forgiveness, bless the Lord for forgiving you. Let's look down to, if you would, in verse 3. I want to remind you of this truth. Sin requires compensation. Sin requires compensation. Verse 3, David says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Have you ever been distant from God? Have you ever lived in a place where you were holding on to sin because you chose that sin more than you chose the Lord? What does that feel like? I can still, yeah, prison, I can still think of when I was a young person, something that I did that was horrific, and the guilt drove me into the ground, and I had to confess before I could move again. This is from Philip, uh, excuse me, Phyllis uh, Elhoff. Says, I was running a few weeks ago when something snapped in my left hip. One minute I was loping along, and the next I was yelping in pain, and I had to hobble home. Within days, that tiny hairline break at the top of my femur threw my entire body off. My left hip hurt, sure, but so did the right one. And when I biked, my knee started screaming. By the time I was evaluated by a physical therapist, I was hugging banisters to negotiate stairs, trading heels for sneakers, and chugging a leave. What in the world was happening? Compensation, said the therapist. My right hip hurt because I was covering for the injury in the left one. Likewise, my left knee hurt from diverting stress on my hip. The entire band of muscle stretching from my left hip to my knees had even tightened to protect the injury. How like sin in our lives. You think one broken area isn't a problem, but you soon find yourself covering for it, and before you know it, you are suffering in other areas as well. Sin always requires compensation. Well... Let me keep this box. I hear that ladies don't work this way, but I know that men do. We compartmentalize really well, don't we, guys, right? I'll give God this box and this box and this box. He can have my uh, calendar. He can have my friendships. He can have my relationship with my wife, but he cannot have my pocketbook because I want to buy what I want to buy. <laughs> and we organize our life that way. And we may sin like, well, but I'm containing my sin to just this area. It's only going to affect this thing, right? Isn't that what the addict tells themselves, right? I'm just going to contain this one thing, this one little area. I know what God says, but I'll just keep track of this one little spot, and we'll keep it off to the side, and everything else will be just fine. 
And what do we find out about sin? It always requires compensation. It will definitely dig into those other areas. Give that box to God too, right? I won't pull it up today, but if you guys have never seen The Chisel, uh, it's a skit by the skit brothers, skit guys. Oh, what a powerful thing where they just, and the guy says, well, don't, you can't have this part. You, can't, you can have this part. You can do all the work you want to do over here. Just don't touch this spot here because that hurts too much. Sin requires compensation. The devil desires for sin to beat you down. He loves for you to live in defeat. He knows what it does, not just to you, but to all the areas of your life. Don't let him win. Repent and find forgiveness that only Christ can grant. The righteousness of Christ can be imputed to your account if you will trust in Jesus and his work. His blood will cover you. Do you believe that? That's the gospel. That's so good. It doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter how hidden it is. It doesn't matter how long it's gone on. The Lord will cover your sin with the blood of his son. That's why forgiveness is such a blessing. Stop trying to figure it out yourself. Give it to God. If sin is working in your heart today, you can stop it right now. Confess, repent, and believe that God will forgive. What's the scripture say? If we confess our sins, he is what? He is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can win the battle in the moment, in the pew right now, behind the pulpit right now. You can win the battle right here and right now, but you have to agree with God about your sin. You have to agree to turn from it and then you have to beg him for his help to be your strength as you pursue him. But he will do it. That's why forgiveness is so wonderful. Confession is, is half the battle. Look down, if you would, there in verse 5. David says, Then I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. <laughs> Selah. Right? Nobody been forgiven here? You guys are so quiet. Isn't that an incredible thing? When your guilt is taken away? David killed a man. He had adultery. He's going to have struggle in his family, but he found forgiveness in the midst of all the problem. And he can have peace with the Lord. Augustine of Hippo, he said this way, My sin was all the more incurable because I did not think myself a sinner. I'm not that bad. I guarantee you, some of you have felt that way. I know I have. Well, that's for the other people, right? I'm pretty good. That preacher, man, he's really going at it today. I hope he gets that person over there. That Todd, he's been needing to hear this for a while. That'd be good if he'd really listened today. Isn't that how we do? Right? He says, my sin was all the more incurable because I didn't think I was a sinner. Hello, people. We are sinners in need of a Savior, amen? And I hope that we never lose that truth in our hearts. I hope that as people come in the door, 
no matter what they've done or what they look like or where they're from, we're like, you can find grace in this place because the Savior will come and he will meet you and his blood will cover you and you can find hope in the future. I don't care what you've done. And that's why forgiveness is so wonderful. Second Samuel twelve thirteen, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. There's so many ways to work around your sin. Have you ever done that? Anybody ever rationalized your sin? justify it, gloss over it. Here's the one we usually do is we compare people with others, right? You know, Rick looks over at Michael and says, yeah, Michael's pretty good, but I think I got him. I'm okay. Right? Well, I know so-and-so, but really, I'm doing better than them. Here's what comparison does. It's going to make you feel completely guilty or it's going to give you a highly elevated view of yourself. Who should you compare yourself with? The Lord Jesus. And then let him work from there. Amen? So good. And here David, he owns his sin. God pointed out the sin. He may have to send Nathan even to us sometimes. So be sure your sins will find you out. And will you be mature enough and truthful enough to admit your own sinfulness? Can you own it? What happens when someone comes to you and they share with you an issue that they see in your life, a concern they have, maybe even to the point of calling it a sin. What is your response? (laughs) Teresa, you blew the whole story, just terrible. Did you hear what she said? She said, thank you. That should be our response. By the way, it's even in our church covenant. That should be your response. But instead, what do we do? (laughs) Well, let's talk about Megan's issues. We could be here all day. Megan comes to me, and the first thing I want to do is put on my defensive thing, and the first thing I'm going to do is going to deflect, right? Just like the woman at the well, Oh, well, they say that you worship on this mount. We worship over here, right? Uh, she couldn't really go for Jesus. He didn't have any sense. <laughs> but we, don't we go right back at someone, right? Or who are you to be telling me? I saw the way you were with such and such and so and so, or the way you did this. You shouldn't talk to me about my motives or me being overly sensitive. How dare you? And instead, Teresa's so right, but boy, it takes a real mature person to, to say it, doesn't it? Thank you for coming to me. Thank you for honestly checking me in my heart. And I will definitely go before the Lord and examine my heart. And where I am out of bounds with the Lord, I'm going to pray that he puts me back right. Thank you for being a real brother and a real sister. Can you own it? David here actually does. Here's another thing I want to challenge you with. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Look down there in verse 6, Psalm 32. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you, look what he says, while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. What do you got to do to be right with God? It's pretty simple. Seek him and pray. And here's what I want to challenge you with this morning, that phrase, while he may be found. Can you always find God? That verse kind of hints there that, wait a minute, (laughs) there may be a time when you can't find him. Here's what I'm going to challenge you with. When God is convicting, don't, don't put it off. Your heart could begin to get callous to the point where you don't feel the conviction anymore. You don't feel the pain anymore because you've let it callous so much. The Bible talks about their conscience being seared as with a hot iron. Basically, they for so long rejected God's prompting and God's provoking and the Holy Spirit's conviction that eventually it didn't bother them anymore. Seek him while he may be found. If God is convicting, 
we need to be repenting. That's a very simple and clear thing. But then so much good here. Again, repent whenever God convicts. And then look at the promises here. God is your rock. He is your hiding place. He is your deliverer. And he will allow you to sing songs of deliverance. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus, right? Sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansion bright and blessed, he will prepare for us a place when we all We've been singing some songs of deliverance, haven't we, today? Amen. Amen. When your heart is clean, you can sing. When your heart's not clean, let's get through this quick. I don't want God to really check me on this, right? I think that's why singing is good for me, because usually singing drives me to my knees. Like, "Uh uh-oh, I messed up. I got to offer this up to the Lord so I can sing. I don't want to sing with a guilty, shameful heart. I want to sing with an open and free heart. We can sing songs of deliverance when we find the Lord, when he can be found. Well, the Lord will guide you. Look down at verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Man, what a promise. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in are these just like some of the best verses ever? They're awesome, aren't they? They're so good. You don't have to do it on your own. I don't know how to beat the temptation. That's okay. You don't have to know how to beat it. The Lord knows how to beat it. He will instruct you. He will teach you. He'll be your guide. He'll be your strength. But you got to give to him. Every day you got to give. Sometimes every hour you got to give it to him. But he knows. So give it to him. Instead of like, well, i got to figure this out. Man, unstuck, right? I'm going to do it myself. How, how stubborn are we that we cannot learn that lesson? And here the promises of the Lord are so good. I'll instruct you. I'll teach you. I'll counsel you. I'll watch over you. Don't be like the mule. We got any mules here today? Right? Sometimes when I pray, I ask the Lord to help me not be the mule because I know sometimes I have to be the mule. David had to have, he was a mule, right? He had to have Nathan come and tell him this incredible story to convict him and draw him. And I would just like to be able to recognize it and say, Lord, help me, instead of the Lord having to do something in my life to correct me and to make me where I need to be. Now, thankful again, like Teresa said, thankful for the Lord's discipline, right? He chastens those he loves. But at the same time, sometimes I'd like to just make the good choice without the chastening. And that's where what David has said. You don't have to be like the mule. Turn to the Lord. Again, a beautiful opportunity today to give whatever it is that you're battling, you're facing to Jesus and ask him to be your strength. And he will instruct you. He will guide you. He will counsel you. And ultimately, he will deliver you. Again, uh, the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Finally, verse 14, we have a reason to rejoice. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. If today you've offered yourself to Jesus, and as far as you know, and we all know we're still sinners, but as far as you know, things are right between you and the Lord, praise the Lord. Celebrate, sing. I think sometimes we feel like we have to make every single person feel guilty because we are. (laughs) And we don't. If you've offered your stuff to the Lord, Rejoice. 
Celebrate. Praise him for his forgiveness. Praise him for his counsel. Praise him for his deliverance. If you have found the forgiveness of the Lord, if you have been covered by the blood of Christ, if you have had the righteousness of Christ imputed to your account, rejoice, be glad, and sing. It truly is wonderful to be forgiven. It is definitely a blessing worth singing about. And again, by the way, don't just be singing at church, right? You need to sing. You need to shout. You need to testify and give glory to God. Okay, final illustration will be done today. This is from Adam uh, Plore. In his early 20s, Alan Baker, a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy, was an ensign on a small ship, biding his time as a navigator and planning a career in law. As part of his duties, Baker counseled shipmates about drug and alcohol issues. The destroyer squadron chaplain came aboard to check on Baker's progress. When the chaplain asked Baker how many people he'd counseled, Baker inflated the figures. I didn't want the command to look bad, but as soon as I said it, I thought, you lied, and you just lied to the chaplain. It just showed how far I'd go to make myself look good, he recalls. I felt guilty. I'm an Eagle Scout who's not supposed to cheat, lie, or steal, and it bothered me for a long time. More problems cropped up months later after Baker married. When we would fight in the first couple of months, she'd say, we need to pray about this. And I'd say, that's the last thing I'm going to do. To me, when you're in an argument, you argue all the way. There's going to be a winner, and by golly, I'm going to be the winner. Back aboard ship, Baker tried to fall asleep one night, but his doubts and confusion kept him awake. I had so much anxiety, I just hit bottom. What was he really after, he wondered, integrity or just looking good for other people? I was too sick at heart to continue down the path I was on, he says. I prayed that God would look on my sin, forgive me, take away my pain and guilt. I sensed God's voice in my heart. He said, I can do that, but I can't do that to half of you. I can't just take the bad part. I need the good part too. My first thought was, no way. (laughs) I was wrestling with God. I want you to take away the pus and the pain and the problems, but I don't want to give my time and talent and treasure. He gave me an argument in my mind. If you believe I created you, don't you think I know what's best for you? And I couldn't refute that. Before dawn that morning, Baker yielded to God's role in his life. That was my conversion. On the next cruise, I made a commitment to spend all my free time learning the Bible. I quit reading Louis L'Amour with a friend. I started memorizing Scripture. God changes you, doesn't he, right? You guys, so simple today. God doesn't want half of you. He doesn't want the little one compartment of you. He wants all of you. And I don't know your battles, and I don't know you're facing, but I do know the Lord, and I know his promises are sure. I will instruct you. I will teach you. I will counsel you. I will deliver you. (laughs) Praise the Lord, right? Would you stand this morning if God is calling and you need to come? Please come. Miss Ida's going to come and play. I believe I surrender all a very familiar hymn. And I, I was playing that. I don't know if you know that song this morning right before the message today. The Hillsong has a song, I surrender. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. I surrender. And today, that's what I want us to be. So if you need to come, feel free to bring a friend, come to the altar, or pray there in your pew. But we would love for you today to give everything, all of everything, uh, to Jesus. So let's just bow our heads quietly and while Ida plays. And if you need to come pray, please come.